Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Monash Musculoskeletal Research Unit podcast. My name's Luke Perrotin from MMRU and the Department of Physiotherapy at Monash University. And in this episode, I'm going to have a chat with pediatric podiatrist and researcher, Associate Professor Kylie Williams, about the wonderful world of podiatry research and many other things. So Kylie has a special interest in idiopathic toe walking in children and has published extensively in pediatric gait and health services research. Kylie's a highly experienced podiatrist and associate professor in the School of Primary and Allied Health here at Monash University, and has more than 25 years experience in pediatric podiatry and podiatry research. Kylie's PhD investigated idiopathic toe walking in children, and she also has a master's degree in health education and promotion. Kylie works clinically at the Kingston Foot Clinic in Melbourne, Australia, is a senior researcher at Peninsula Health in Melbourne, as well as an adjunct research researcher with the University of South Australia and Staffordshire University in the UK. And top of all of that, Kylie also supervises a number of PhD students. She runs her own research project and is active on social media, helping to translate and disseminate research findings so to clinicians. So you can see why we wanted to get her on the podcast. Kylie Williams. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Luke. Thanks for having me today. Fantastic. So tell us a little bit about yourself, so your background and interests and current work and projects. Um, I always am a little bit, um, I guess, humbled and shocked when people read out stuff like that because I, I just see myself regularly as just a clinician that is really, really interested in um, in change in making a difference I'm a mum I'm a wife I um and sometimes <laughs> try to be a good friend um but I guess one of my backgrounds is I've worked in the public health system in Victoria Australia for um, a long time and um I worked in pediatric gait and assessment teams with um trying to understand why some little people walk differently to their peers and um, I guess I, I worked higher to become a, a senior clinician in that area and I just had loads of questions and I was a bit of a late bloomer to research. I only um, completed my PhD in 2012 and that kind of came about was um, I guess I was really frustrated at things I was doing. I decided I was going to be a, a I was going to do my PhD to make me a better clinician. The plan was to continue to remain clinical, but like lots of things in life, there were um, little twists and turns and deviations. And here I am now sitting in a university with this opportunity, amazing opportunity to continue to make a difference, but it's a little bit broader and it's a little bit bigger. And it's about helping the next generation who are seeing little people or big people with foot problems to be able to help them make a difference. Um, and I still have that one day of clinical, which for me, I guess, keeps it real. Mm, I really want to go get deep into the, um, the research that you've done and, and all your interests, but let's take, let's go back a step and talk about the profession of podiatry on the podcast. We've spoken to a couple of physios and now we're broadening out. It's a musculoskeletal podcast after all, so it's definitely not all about physiotherapy. Let's talk about the profession of podiatry really broadly. So what does a podiatrist yeah. do and then what do you do? Um, 
Oh, I, I would like to think I do most of what a podiatrist does when I'm when I'm clinically, but um, podiatry is this in Australia is a relatively young profession. We used to um, it used to be called chiropodry, and there are still some podiatrists who um, have a, have training as a chiropodist and then transition to a registered health professional as a podiatrist. So I guess that's one thing we're a registered health professional under the um, National Registration um, Health Professional Scheme. Podiatrists are really, um, they're feet people and they they look at not just musculoskeletal, it's one of the, I think, the biggest benefits of podiatry is we look at skin, we look at how the foot moves, we look at how the, the bones move, we, um, we look at um, how people walk when people don't walk. We look at the changes in the vascular system and what happens when it's not working and someone ends up, say, with a diabetic, a diabetes-related foot wound. Um, we can use scheduled medicines as standard um, when you leave university in the form of a local anaesthetic. Um, we do minor nail procedures. There is a specialisation within the, the podiatry field, being podiatric surgery, and we have about 30 of those in Australia. So podiatry, I think, is this really odd mix of um, it's a little bit of physio and it's this little bit of nursing and it's this lovely little smattering of medicine and you kind of wrap them all up and, and, and put them into a foot and lower leg and that's kind of, kind of what we do is try and understand how people move, how people walk and how the foot actually impacts their, their whole health and well-being. And that's a really good answer. Thank you. And so you've got a special interest in idiopathic toe walking in children, which is a special interest within the smaller part of podiatry, which is pediatrics. So how did you first become interested in this area and further yeah. on from that in research? I'm a bit nuts, to be honest. Um, idiopathic toe walking, I think more and more, it used to be the domain of the orthopedic surgeons. And when we look at some of our historic research, it's usually orthopedic surgeons that are published in this area. And then um, physio colleagues came on board and published some really nice stuff on uh, the use of serial casting in idiopathic toe walking. And um, some of my colleagues reminded me a while ago that my first presentation as a new graduate was actually on this little kid who was walking on their tiptoes and I didn't quite understand it. And I presented at a conference as a case review and I was one year out. And so um, I've kind of been obsessed with this concept of why a, a seemingly healthy child changes their walk to a very energy inefficient and um, complex way of movement that if it remains can lead to um, musculoskeletal changes, to osseous changes, to different movement patterns, to inefficient movement patterns, to um, falls, to pain. It doesn't seem like a logical choice that a healthy child would make. And, and we're talking about idiopathic toe walking, and I think we'll talk about that probably a little bit more in um, a second part of our podcast because I'll go on forever about it. So I guess um, I then became a mum and my um, the universe had a plan and I got my very own research subject with this lovely, healthy little child that decided to toe walk. And I guess it's um, kind of snowballed from there in that um, physios, OTs, um, psychologists, speech pathologists, pediatricians, neurologists and podiatrists all see 
healthy kids that walk on their tiptoes. And I, I really want to understand why some children choose or have to walk like this because the outcomes for those who don't grow out of it can be um, can be so challenging. So you've come a long way from that presentation where you were presenting a case <laughs> yeah. report and didn't know what it was to having yep. that livid experience yourself with your child. Yep. What are your um, what are your areas and interests in research outside of um, idiopathic toe walking? Yeah, yeah. Because so, that's not all I've you got do. A few. Yeah, yeah, no, no. There's not enough money in that. Um, I think one of the big things is um, pediatric gait is a is a huge interest of mine. So um, why some children walk differently to others, and that's everything from um, children who present with idiopathic toe walking um, gait related to um, generalized hypermobility disorders, or gait related to um, developmental coordination disorders. Sort of these cusp um, types of um, atypical presentations that some kids have and trying to understand I guess how we can help children achieve their goals how we can help um, feet are a a social interaction device when you have feet you're able at that work properly you're able to play and run and jump and um, they keep your bones strong and they make your heart healthy so if they aren't kind of working properly it can impact all these other things and um I guess that that's kind of one bundled um, kids who don't walk as well as we would like them to, or as I guess as their peers. I'm also really quite um, interested in podiatry workforce research, and this is probably the more specific podiatry stuff. Um, we know in Australia there's about five and a half thousand podiatrists, so we're relatively a small profession. If you live in the city, for every a hundred thousand people, there's about sixteen podiatrists. But if you live in the country, there's about six podiatrists for every a hundred thousand people. And we know that um, in Australia, diabetes-related foot disease um, is killing Australians. It's killing young people. It's killing older adults. And we know that when you have early access to a podiatrist, it will reduce your chance of ending up with a life-changing amputation. And one of the biggest challenges is what if you can't get to one? And so I'm really interested in, um, I guess, ensuring that we have equal um, distribution to podiatrists across Australia. But also that there's this knowledge of how, and it doesn't just have to be to podiatrists, young people when they present to their GPs as a recent publication, um, if they present to their GPs with a musculoskeletal complaint, it's the lower limb that actually makes up the most of those complaints. So what's going on with these young people? And and we're talking under the age of 18. Feet and legs um, hurt sometimes. So are they getting the right care at the right time? And in particular, then to flip to older adults, osteoarthritis in the foot, um, some of the latest information is it's as prevalent as knee pain, but most or knee osteoarthritis, but no one knows what to do with it. There's very little research into it. Um, It's kind of like people's got this thing about feet. They just don't want to really think about them or they're too hard. It's there's too many bones there sort of thing. And so they don't really know what to do. So I guess 
um, the, the, the workforce really interests me and just the one that no one really wants to hear is about health services research because it's boring, it's it's numbers, but it's what shakes up our health profession, um, sorry, it shakes up our health system to make sure that our health service is running really efficiently. There's quite a lot in that. There's, it's quite inspirational to, you know, to hear the story in the broad areas of not just one special interest area, but the broad areas of podiatry, podiatry research you've been involved in. If a podiatrist or who's a clinician or a podiatry student who's listening to this feels equally inspired and wants to help out <laughs> and you know, dip their toe in the water of podiatry research, where should they start? Um, yeah, well, under 10 years ago or around 10 years ago, this is me. Um, and I guess it's that that genuine conversations at conferences, um, which are kind of really hard right now. Um, or well, recognise a lot of podiatry um, students don't come out with honours and the traditional way to go through research is you um, you do your undergraduate degree, you do really well in that and you come out with honours at the other side. But there's not a lot of podiatrists coming out with honours at the end and it's not for their, their marks or anything like that. It might be that these aren't being offered um, at the university they're studying at. We have, I supervise a lot of PhD and um, master's students and many of my students have never done an honours project. Um, it, it's, a, I guess, a little bit of a non-traditional path. They have a research question. They generally come as very experienced practitioners who um, through engagement, say, as a research assistant or in their health service, publish something. And so they've, they've demonstrated they've got some academic rigour behind them and we can then um, I guess channel them into a research degree if that's actually what they're interested in. The other is a lot of um, research that we've done over the last probably two years is about partnering with clinics. You don't have to be a researcher, you can be a research generator, a research user or a research translator. And I see not everyone, research isn't for anyone, isn't for everyone, but if you want to sit on that edge, decide whether it's new or exciting or something you want to engage with, there is a lot of people um, like you and me who are trying to do research that actually do need partners in our research. And that can be something that a, uh, a clinic could, could partner and say, hey, can I collect some data for you? Can I help recruit to this study? I've got patients that might fit your inclusion criteria. And yeah, you know, it's a little bit more on your day when you're in private practice and you've got that in the back of your mind. But the rewards for your patients can be fantastic. Um, it can definitely go towards engagement with academia. It can give you a little bit of a taster of what it might be like. It can open the opportunity to a potentially a publication or being part of a publication. So there's lots of ways that really it's about connecting um, which is what I think we do in allied health really well is connect with each other. Mm, that's a great answer. I've definitely spoken to a lot of um, clinicians and uh, collaborators who've been interested in research, but the perception sometimes is that they don't know where to start. They don't know where to, you know, what they would do at all to, to begin. So that's a, yeah, that's a really good answer. How do you keep up to date with and use research yourself? It's a bit of a change of topic. 
Yeah, it's probably one of the trickiest things. Um, life moves really fast. I love reading um, and I, I'm a fast reader and I think that definitely helps. I um, will admit that sometimes I don't read the things that I probably should, which would make me better at my job. But um, I follow people on social media that I um, uh, I trust are evidence-based health professionals, but also ones that... I guess like to challenge the boundaries or push the envelope just a little bit. I follow, I guess, lots of people that are out of my field um, that aren't in a paediatric discipline because I think uh, we, I love peds people. They're generally just so nice. Um, they don't tend to argue very often. Uh, they they um, place the, the child and family at the centre of care and um, the debate isn't as heated so I was must admit I do follow a lot of sports people and sit on the, the sidelines and have a little snigger at times um I use google scholar and I set alerts for myself so I've got keywords that I've set alerts so it means that uh once a week I get an email that I've I've now curated my alerts quite well um I'm lucky I've got PhD and master's students who also keep me on top of um, a lot of a lot of um, research, but I guess the thing is, I dedicate a fixed time to reading time. I put it in my diary, and I'm really, really strict about not letting that um, anything eat into that. And I also have, um, I guess, my my peer mentoring group, and that's a group of um, clinicians who have a a, a, a a similar interest, but shout out to all of them. We've got ones around the world that we meet once a month and we might discuss a case or we might discuss a paper or we might discuss education. And so that also then becomes a, a collaborative and two-way street. I did see that, see that one on Twitter. Yeah. Oh, James, yeah. James always takes photos and thankfully it was probably one of the most flattering ones. Um, he regularly gets us pulling all sorts of faces, but it is a, it is a great way to meet um, new people who are going to challenge how you see the world and how you see treatment and to understand health systems in, in different parts of the world, I think it's really important. Well, that's a great bit of advice as well. Well, Kylie, that was a really interesting conversation. It's part one of the second part of the conversation is coming up um, soon. If you're listening in, it'll be coming out a couple of weeks after this one. In the meantime, how can people find out more about you and your work and find you online? Um, I did something very smart. Um, I'll claim it's very smart and made my social media handle the same on Instagram and Twitter. So it's Kylie Peds Pod. You can usually catch up with me there. Um, but also the Monash, um, our Monash, you can Google our names against Monash and my profile will come up there. Um, I'm also always welcome to people catching up, email me message me online about appropriate researchy stuff um, that, that um, I'm really keen to hear what people are doing and if they have any different thoughts on anything that we've talked about today or if they're after a paper, um, use of research gate. I, I do try and keep across, quite like social media, I do try and keep across as much of it as I can because it means that it doesn't, um, my inbox doesn't get as filled with emails if I can catch up with people over there. Fantastic. Let's leave it there. And Kylie, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Luke.